Welcome to the Notes from Michael White podcast, episode number six. I'm Peter Kieran, and alongside me today, I've got Josh Wagman and Rick Byrne. And today we're going to focus on the newly minted Veeam 11 release, and uh, we'll chat about some of the other topics as well uh, near the end of the program. First of all, I'd like to introduce Rick Byrne to the program. Welcome aboard. Glad to have you here uh, today, uh, sharing uh, all of the delicious hot takes on uh, Veeam 11. Perhaps uh, you might want to... Absolutely. Perhaps you might want to take a couple minutes and just introduce yourself to the podcast uh, audience and uh, and then we'll get diving right into uh, the new release. Perfect. Rick Byrne. I'm based out of Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, weather is getting a little bit better each and every day as we're getting out of this winter blues. I've been with Veeam for going on almost nine years now. Been in the IT industry for over 15 vmug user for years and also a leader of the vmug community on top of that i've uh, got to experience being a v expert for i think it was about five years i haven't put myself into it for a couple of years now because i fell down on the whole blogging and certain things like that but as time goes on who knows what will change so very happy to be here and uh looking forward to uh, talking about veeam version 11 well you're now on the podcast that should count towards your v expert so there you go <laughs> Absolutely. It's been a very exciting week for Veeam. Um, it's, I guess, starting last Wednesday, we've, we've had quite a consistent build up to the V11 launch. And um, it's been a long time uh, coming. It's been about a year since our last major release. So um, typically at Veeam, we, we tend to follow similar release cycles. And, and so now that it's launched, um, I, I know there's a ton of new features. Just trying to pick your brain, Rick. You've you've been around Veeam for so long. Is this one of the biggest launches you've ever seen? It is by far. And thanks for saying I'm a little long in the tooth, hey, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> definitely is. Definitely is. 150 plus features and some major new features around that and some enhancements I'm extremely excited about. Excellent. Well, the one thing yeah. I noted was that uh, in your announcements, you have an additional 200 new and new and improved feature sets in, in this version. So, I mean, that's a tremendous amount of, of new work that you guys have put into it. And then there's just some of the highlights really were, were really interesting to me. So I'll let you guys go through them, but uh, I'll add my thoughts there along the way. But yeah, it's a significant release for you guys. So among the new releases, and I think among one of the most important new releases, um, is probably around um, the Veeam data protection storage platform, which we don't technically have a hardware play or anything like that, but what have you seen as advances in, in storage specifically around ransomware and uh, our capabilities there, Rick? Definitely. So, I mean, ever since Veeam has been out there, we've been doing our best to eliminate data loss. On top of that, we want to do our best to help in the fight of the cyber threats we see today, which is mainly around ransomware. And as that main function that I've seen brought into the product at version 10 was more Linux love. And we've, we've stepped up our game even a little bit higher in that Linux love. And that's in the form of our hardened repository, which is based off of Linux and XFS and that immutable functionality within that file system itself. So the ability to go ahead and do a hardened repository based on Linux. So what does that mean? 
It means in the overall purpose of things, we're using a single use credential to gain access to said Linux server. From there, we don't store that credential anywhere within Veeam backup and replication. Now, normally how we would leverage a Linux repository in the past, would we use SSH to get up our runtime and then start writing data to the disk that is attached to said Linux server. Now, after we do that initial installation and implementation of that as a Linux repository, we encapsulate that protocol so we no longer need to have that SSH open to the server. So now you can secure that from a client standpoint as much as possible and keep that locked up. And then the immutable backups because of that flag from the Veeam backup server, because it's not an account that has root access, it doesn't even have the ability to remove that immutable block or flag allowing that backup to be deleted. So what I like to say is it protects against the majority of the cyber threats you may see out there. The only thing it's not protecting from is bringing an ax into the data center, which we all know that there's, there's other ways that that needs to be protected. If somebody gets access to that physical server within hopefully a locked rack, that's the only way that that data is going to be impacted. Yeah, that's, it's quite an outstanding feature. And, and to the, to the physical access layer, of course, you can also stage the Linux hardened repository in multiple data centers to combat that and, and run data across each, can't you? Definitely spot on. Excellent. I, I know for, for me, this is one of the, the key features of the launch, if not my number one feature being that uh, obviously, especially in data protection, we're starting to hear more and more as far as uh, ransomware and malware attacks that are, are providing significant uh, difficulty to business. Um, and it's absolutely critical to, to make sure that data is uh, absolutely recoverable in, in any situation. One thing I noted that I, I, I saw here, and it's quite exciting to me, is that uh, the, the immutability can also be passed into S, S3 buckets in Amazon or in Glacier as well. So, so you can keep that immutability across uh, as you pass it down into lower class cloud tiers too. So that was uh, something that was uh, very interesting to me as, as someone who's interested in multi-cloud. Um, you know, you can go from on-prem to uh, out into the cloud and keep that immutability from start to finish. Spot on, Peter. And uh, one of the things even to note around that, we haven't forgot about tape either. I mean, we've had tape for some time. I know we talk about cloud and protection within there with immutability, your on-premises data center with the Linux hardened repository, but also tape. And we've added a lot of features and functions to that, but you still have the trusted and true technology if you need it as well for that true air gap. I was going to say that isn't the uh, saying tape is dead, long live tape? <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny uh, in recent years like you saw a movement away from tape i'd say in in the last two to three years but within the last 12 to 18 months you started to see a resurgence in tape again i think lto8 played a big part of that and having the ability to fit so much data on tape and LTO9 is going to expand on that story as well. So even though 
there is still a manual process to, to tape management. Being that it is so simple to get an air gap in that situation, you're still seeing the appeal there. And, and really the cost per terabyte on tape is, is unrivaled by even the, uh, the lowest tier of, of archive storage. Although you did mention it, Peter, it's really exciting to have the automated data management feature across hybrid cloud. So when you're talking about applying retention, nothing is manual at all. So if you keep using it like a Linux hardened repository backended with, with AWS S3 bucket or infrequent access, and then tear it off to Glacier with that immutability. The nicest part is that that data lifecycle management for the backup data is completely taken care of. So uh, you really don't have to worry about what retention lives where, Veeam manages all of that. And I think that's important to note um, as someone who did HSM way back in the day, it was always a, a tricky balance as you passed your, your data into different tiers of storage. And uh, it was always one of those things going, well, what policy is going to behave where? And it's nice to have kind of a single platform manage that uh, from stem to stern. And the other thing that I'll, I'll note, you know, just to, this is Peter's thoughts and no one's else's is, you know, I think people are going back to tape in part because they're starting to feel, feel the pain of uh, some of the costs of cloud storage. And I think you don't feel the pain until you restore and have to pay the egress charge to get your data out. And I think that's probably one of the things that maybe is driving some of that, uh, some, some of that route back to tape as well. Hey, we've already got tape drives kicking around. We already have it. We didn't get rid of it because we needed to keep it around. So why don't we use that instead and, and maybe drive some cost out of our, our, our overall equation. So that, that might be one of the factors of, of tape making a little bit of a resurgence as well. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And like you said, it, you know, the pain of doing the restore from cloud until they remember the pain of doing the restore from tape as well. We've all been there. <laughs> right. And that, that's one thing we've uh, kind of looked at with Veeam is tape has a play, you know, different classes of object storage also have a play. And you brought up a great thing at the cost. And that's why we also expanded our object storage support to start to look at those cheaper tiers of object storage where it's almost like tape where you kind of want to get data there, but you hope you never actually have to restore from it. And that's where we brought out our archive tier to leverage such things as the storage tiers within Azure or AWS that has the cheaper such as Glacier and the archive tier within Azure. Yeah, so you can use Microsoft Azure Blob Storage or Glacier S3 buckets to kind of archive stuff off into that, you know, what I call cheap and deep storage. And you're yeah. hoping you'll never, you'll, you're hoping you never have to pull it out of there. But if you do, then, you know, that, that's when your business is probably going to be willing to pay for it anyways. So Exactly. We went we real cheap and deep now. Instead of just S3, which we had in version 10, we've also actually even version 9.5. But version 11, we're even going deeper to even include deep archive and glacier. Yeah, and, and those use cases are really built around when that long-term retention, and we see this at most of most data protection scenarios, is, is when you're doing long-term retention, the likelihood of ever having to restore something from there, or even the likelihood, especially in traditional media, being able to restore it, like will it even work? is few and far between. At some point, it's an auditing checkbox. And so the thought is, why would you want to consume more expensive disk with that 
satisfying just an auditing requirement more than a functional requirement. And, and so this storage allows us to do that. Um, moving on, being that obviously notes from Michael White has had a significant VMware uh, slant to it and, and, and push because of his uh, familiarity with uh, the VMware platform and, and how how in depth he's gone in, in some of the services there, Rick. Is there anything in this launch that you see as, as being very VMware focused that can significantly help the community? Definitely. So, I mean, one thing is we've been talking about for some time at Veeam was bringing out continuous data protection. And we finally came to market with that with our CDP functionality built in for VMware at no extra cost. And I mean, that's coming down to not requiring any VMware snapshots because we're using the IO filter to eliminate that. Uh, there's no workload or hardware dependency on it. And we're doing asynchronous replication where latency doesn't become as big of an issue as long as you got the bandwidth between it. This is very policy-based, allowing you to have that functionality to bring down that re recovery point objective in seconds. And also that recovery time objective goes in line with that, giving you the shortest recovery time objective you could possibly achieve with that flexible retention, allowing you to have crash consistency when needed for those point in times or application consistency. And I noticed that it's instant VM recovery as well, which is, you know, something that, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of VM admins would really like to see. Can that, can that happen, uh, you know, in a sideload? So if I have a VM running and I want to, you know, spin a, uh, a backup copy of it up instantly into kind of a, a sandbox, is that possible with a VM as well? Definitely 100%. Now that's not directly related to that continuous data protection we brought out, but instant VM recover just about anything anywhere from the point of Microsoft SQL databases, Oracle databases, NAS backups, agent type of backups, should it be a virtual machine that we can't protect in our image-based VM protection, we could protect that with an agent or a physical server and even instantly recover that physical server workstation, desktop, to an actual VMware infrastructure. That's, that's fantastic. I, I think the instant recovery for database is going to perk up a lot of years in the, in the uh, database, um, the database uh, administration community as well, because that's always been a, a, a tough challenge for a lot of uh, database administrators is, you know, if someone drops a table, how do I recover from that really quickly? And usually that meant going back to a backup that they've taken in RMAN or something like that. This makes it a lot uh, more straightforward for them to kind of go back to a point in time and just get back up and running. Yeah, and it's running from the backup file at that point, Peter. So that's the other nice thing about it. It's running from the backup file. And then you can actually switch that over to your production storage once you're done that testing or that failure is now at the point where you need to bring it back to production storage and you have a switch over that can occur. And that could be manual or scheduled to happen automatically. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a great feature. And when you combine that with Veeam's automated log management, and this is a, a feature that I know I've successfully talked to a number of database administrators who for, for obvious reasons like to typically have their hands on uh, database data, uh, like to be involved with the management of that because of the transactional nature of the data. But 
the way V manages that, that constant pull, the constant syncing of those logs, when you're talking about having an instant database recovery on top of that, now you're getting backups potentially every five minutes, uh, maybe even uh, five, 10, 15 minutes, really whatever you need there as far as the log management goes, but the ability to instantly recover that particular database. So now you're getting that, that consistent protection, that constant protection and able to spin it back up in just a few seconds, which means that RPO and RTO come down basically next to nothing. So it's a really powerful use case for database administrators. Great stuff in this, uh, in this release. I'm just looking at all of the, there's so much on your, on your capabilities matrix now that that wasn't there in, in V10. It's just, uh, it's, you know, even when we, you think about uh, granular application item recovery, you know, and things like Exchange or SharePoint or Active Directory. I mean, that's going to be a tremendous advantage to a, an administrator being able to go in and grab something, you know, from a SharePoint database, which is <laughs> quite frankly a pain in the rear for those of us who have backed those up in the past. Yeah, remember the recovery database? That was always fun. Um, <laughs> we've all been there. We've all been there. And of course, uh, you know, everybody talks about backup and, you know, we say we're Veeam backup and replication, but really it boils down to nobody cares about the backup. You really care about the restores. And just like you said, Peter, if you need that individual active directory object or password or group policy or integrated DNS zone, you shouldn't have to restore your entire domain controller for that. You should have, you know, granular items that you can pull from to do that, right? And that's one of the things we've been looking at from Veeam. And like I said, we were backup and replication, two and one. With V11, we're kind of changing that up. And now we're that four-in-one solution. I used to always joke around and say, you know, when I was doing client presentations or talking to a customer, I'd bring up how we were two-in-one, but wait, there's more. You know, kind of like those info commercials. Well, now there is more. It's the four-in-one where we're combining all that together for backup, replication, plus storage snapshots and that new continuous data protection, allowing us to leverage everything underneath that umbrella for that data protection instead of just, you know, that single entity and using what customers already have because we are the glue that likes to stick multiple vendors together and allow everything to work in that same ecosystem. Has so anything Rick changed in the... Was, let me just ask you a quick question, Josh. Uh, no problem. Uh, I was just wondering, has anything changed in the licensing model in uh, V11 versus V10 that uh, our users need to be aware of? You want me to take that one, Josh? I can actually uh, answer yeah, that. We actually, in version 11, we have a pleasant surprise. And that is any, uh, any person or company that bought Beam uh, instance licensing or uh, Beam universal licensing to protect NAS data can now protect twice as much NAS data for the same license. So we've wow. expanded the capability there. And so the nice thing is, is if, if you were to purchase the, uh, the vols before the Beam universal licenses to protect uh, your file shares, your, your SIFs, your SMB, your NFS, now you don't have to kind of reload to grow. Now you can grow into the licensing you've already got and we've expanded the capability there. Um, to me, that's the biggest piece. We're continuing to make the licensing at Beam portable so that 
as you start migrating services to that hybrid cloud scenario, licensing can follow you around. So when a virtual machine lives in VMware on premises, you have your universal license to protect that data. If for some reason you decide that workload should go and live in, in cloud native in, in AWS or Azure, uh, in native virtual machines there, you can then move that license with it. So license portability and then capacity licensing for, for NAS is, is two of the big things. Awesome. One of the things, one of the other things I noted here is that you now have a Mac OS agent as well, so you can back up uh, Macs that are on your, your network as well. Is that uh, something brand new in this, or has that been around for a while? That's fresh off the presses. Because uh, that's that's exciting to me as a Mac user who's got a, you know, three or four Macs sitting around. It'd be nice to back them all up in one spot. So. And don't forget, if you got some more of that Unix kicking around, AIX, Solaris, we got that too. We're not the same Veeam we were, you know, eight years ago. We, we've started building the pieces that our customers still require. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I was actually uh, talking with a customer and I, I was shocked that Solaris was still kicking around on Spark. So <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting to see that some some customers are still you know kind of living living those and and utilizing that uh, you know <laughs> still today. And and I'm sure there's a business value to doing it. So obviously it's a it's a great thing. Absolutely. So Rick, is there any other features or or releases with V11 that? kind of uh, you find as impactful or have we pretty much touched on what you think is the major stuff? I got one more that I find sort of exciting. Now, I don't know if everybody would find it exciting, but as Josh and Peter, you probably know, I would assume Veeam is software only. So we are hardware storage agnostic and that comes to backups and also where we can be installed because of that purely software defined function. So you would think we wouldn't really look at what kind of performance we can get from an appliance type of model on big type of beer servers. But one of the things we've been working on is our backup engine, of course, stuff underneath the covers that nobody really pays attention to. It's not a big, wow, here's a new feature, here's a new function. But what our product management looked at with some of our alliance partners is they actually built out certain appliances and more of that all-in-one type of appliance and ended up through the enhancements we increased in version 11, being able to get over 11 gigabytes a second from one appliance. I said gigabytes, not gigabits, 11 gigabytes a second from one of these appliances. I find that pretty impressive by just looking at some of the engine enhancements we built. I mean, that's all in our Watts new document. You can kind of go through that in detail, but I found that pretty exciting myself. I don't know what you guys think of that. Uh, that's fantastic. It just makes me want to get a 10 gig network in my home lab now. Uh, so you can take advantage of that. Uh, the other thing I saw there is um, uh, there's NUMA awareness as well. I think that's an important thing for, uh, you know, when we go back to databases, uh, you know, a full NUMA awareness uh, allows you to basically have your source and target data movers never end up in different um, <laughs> in different nodes of those NUMA architectures, which can cause big performance impacts as well. So I think that's a, that's a definite highlight for me from a, from a 
you know, from a VMware perspective, uh, NUMA boundaries and, and databases kind of go hand in hand and uh, having that awareness is going to be a, a key thing from a backup perspective um, where you want to re reduce contention. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and really the efficiency goes the whole stack. I, I agree, especially when, if you're in a situation where it's tough to make those, those backup windows and tough to protect all of your data in that, in that window, then it's really important to be able to scale and get that high performance pull. Um, we see it very often in the field as data is growing and growing and growing. Your full backups, your incrementals, everything keeps growing astronomically year after year after year. There's always more and more data. So it's really important to be able to have a tool that can grow with you. And, and in this case, that's what we've seen here with, uh, with some of those optimizations. Excellent. Well, why don't we wrap this up before my dog starts barking here? Uh, uh, why don't you give us the uh, top features that you guys think are going to be really highlights for our customer sets? So I think uh, to kind of recap what the, what the highlights are, I think number one for me is the Linux hardened repository, that, that ransomware protection, that insider threat protection, that malware protection, the reference architectures that'll be kind of released for that are gonna be pretty easy to implement. Uh, so, so having something that powerful and that secure is not going to be overly difficult. Rick, what's your next one? Gotta say, I love that continuous data protection. That that's my big thing for the ability to finally have that come to market and give you the best possibility of eliminating the data loss for those most critical applications you may have in your infrastructure. I'd agree with that, and then and then for me. Obviously, I take a lot of pride in, in the way that Veeam does the automated data management throughout the backup lifecycle. So basically, hands-off retention, having your dailies, weeklies, monthlies, yearlies, all completely automated, so you don't have to worry about how much of which you have. You don't have to worry about where it's living, whether or not you're in the most cost-optimized format for that storage. The fact that V11 introduces that archive tier really makes sure that you're not only optimizing your backup uh, efficiency with, with all of the performance enhancements, but you're optimizing what you keep on premises. So where your operational restore window is, what you're keeping in the cloud on what I like to call highly available disk or more highly available disk in that primary tier of object or blob storage. And then that long-term cost-optimized archive copy, it's more of an auditing checkbox than it necessarily is a functional day-to-day -day, uh, storage capacity. Um, I think for me, that's number three. And then, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the instant database recovery, there's so much, so much stuff in here. <laughs> there is. It's, it's hard to lock it, lock it all down because it's, it's that whole thing of combining everything into that umbrella data protection solution, allowing customers to still keep working with the vendors they currently work with, allowing them to choose what's right for their infrastructure, allowing an innovative solution to keep them moving forward 
with the services that they need to drive for their business, right? It's, it's all those pieces that uh, I was a Veeam customer before I joined Veeam. And that's what brought me here, right? <laughs> Nine years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Peter, anything to add? Is there any other topics we want to cover off today? Well, I, th I think, you know, I'll just uh, drop in my, my uh, two cents here is, you know, that archive to the cloud storage on Glacier and the Azure Blob stuff, and the fact that you can have a, a hardened immutable uh, aspect to that across uh, a few cloud uh, instances is going to be huge, especially from a ransomware pers perspective. I think that that's just a, a great uh, new feature in this release. So, you know, overall, I, you know, we'll coin a Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs up on this. Uh, I think there's just a ton of interesting stuff in here that any, any administrator or any, uh, any virtualized environment is going to really benefit from uh, having these features available to them from a, you know, from a backup and recovery perspective. So um, just uh, looking forward to playing around a little bit within the lab. Uh, you know, everybody loves playing around with backup and recovery software, as you know, it's just, you know, the best thing ever. But uh, I think it's going to be one of those things that uh, makes everybody's life much easier. And I think that's really, you know, if we think back to backup and recovery back in the early 2000s, it, it was painful. And uh, the, every release that I've seen from Veeam makes uh, that statement less and less uh, true. And I think that's, uh, I think one of the testaments to, to what Veeam's done is just ma making everything easy. And that's why they've garnered a lot of market share. And that's, uh, I think, why our, our, our uh, listeners and our, our customers enjoy having that product available to them. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we just want to highlight too, there is some cloud love there with, with a little better integration with the Veeam Backup for Azure and AWS uh, native deployments as well. So more visibility of, of what's going on in those hybrid cloud scenarios. But the, the important thing is, is what we've seen in the past is as companies update their, their primary infrastructure, a lot of them forget that it's also important to modernize your data protection footprint as well. What your stance is given the new technologies you're looking to leverage, the new threats that are lurking in the wild that, that can potentially derail what you're trying to accomplish. And so just having a holistic view to the data center means once you modernize that primary, you should look at modernizing that secondary. And I think that's what we've done very well at Beam is is to make that process simple. Well, excellent. Uh, did you guys uh, have a read of Michael's uh, latest newsletter from uh, February 27th? I've, I've had a quick, uh, quick little buzz through it and there's a few interesting tidbits. Anything that came out uh, to you, uh, Josh? Yeah, the one I really love, and I, I typically only get to play with VMware in my, in my home lab, but I do have a significant uh, amount of time in there. So I, I'm playing around with it quite a bit. I really like the, uh, the article on the update planner. I, I was going to mention that you're stealing it from me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. But That's what's okay. really cool is, is what can be confusing, obviously, about updating vCenter is whether or not you make sure any of the dependent components require updates in, in order for you to facilitate that. And the update planner basically removes all guesswork. Uh, if you're using that properly, it should be very simple to tell what needs to happen when and uh, should eliminate much of that complexity that 
that could be depending on what services you had deployed before. So a very powerful article for me. Uh, as someone who doesn't live in it 24 hours a day, definitely something that can help me simplify my life. Yeah, the one thing that stood out to me from the article was the uh, the article from Dell Technologies actually was uh, that vSAN compression only is nearly penalty free, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, you know from a vSAN perspective, why uh, we decoupled uh, dedupe and compression and, and said you can have dedupe and compression or you can have compression only is just because the compression only really you know, is very lightweight on the processor and still provides a lot of value for our customer set. So uh, great article with some great graphs as to, you know, what you can expect uh, with, with the basically, you know, turn it on, turn it off or, uh, or have dedupe and compression. And you can see the differences over time with uh, low latency and high throughput applications uh, hammering on a server. So I thought that was really, really uh, an interesting article just to see some of the actual performance data, which typically you don't, you don't see because uh, VMware is not a hardware provider. So we kind of rely on our hardware providers to do some of that because you know, it, it depends what disks you put in and all the, all the rest of that. So we don't put out those performance numbers. So it's good to see that uh, Dell Technologies did that for their VX rail. Anything else? Uh, that you want to add, uh, Rick or Josh? Yeah, definitely. So one I enjoyed immensely was something we all deal with a lot in IT and just being in the industry we're in, and it's learning when to say no and deal with stress in IT. I enjoyed that immensely, and it's something I battle with myself over, you know, the, the decades in IT. And uh, I believe we all need to take that into consideration, especially with work from home and what we've experienced where time and pressure is on us even more now a lot of the times because everybody thinks we're home. And when you got to say no, because we we all come back with a, a saying that we don't have time. And it's, it's normally, it's not that we don't have time. It's what we've allowed our time to be taken with, with the priorities we've allowed other people to set for us. And there is things we all have to do because we must do. But that being said, we need to learn how to say no or get to a yes or get to a no with a yes, <laughs> right? So that was a great article in my mind. Yeah, I think a, a follow-on to that one was the article uh, about a Navy SEAL commander who uh, works for VMware as our chief digital transformation officer uh, talked a, a lot about, uh, you know, doing the hard things, <laughs> right? It's not the same as doing risky things. And, you know, knowing that you are who you are when you're at your worst, I think is, is something that always um, comes to the forefront. And, uh, you know, it talked a lot about leadership and, and how you can do those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, talking about decision making, and, and those aren't just for, you know, IT professionals that you can use that in, in daily life too, right? You can never know the future. So make the best decision for now. And I, I know a lot of people who says, oh, I'm going to wait for the next whatever. Well, you don't know what the future is going to bring. So if you need something and you need something now and it's going to bring joy or happiness or, or value to your life, you know, make that decision now because delaying it delays, your, de delays that uh, return on that investment. So I think that that was a really interesting thing that, that I, I read out of that one. So anything else, Josh? Um, nothing that uh, caught my eye. I just wanted to say it was nice to see, uh, to see another blog post come out. I know it's uh, going to be a little bit spotty here and there, uh, depending on how Michael feels. But um, 
anytime I see him come out with a post like this, it uh, kind of brightens the day a little bit just to know he's, he's feeling well enough to be able to do that. Yeah. I know I'm going to stop by with a box full of uh, smaller Lego projects. As you know, he's got a couple of big ones, a Saturn V rocket and a treehouse that he's working on. And, and uh, those are large, large things that take a lot of time and effort. And, uh, you know, I think he's um, limited in how much time that he has to put into those sorts of things. So I'm going to drop off some smaller Lego things for him. So hopefully that will bring him some joy into his life. And, and I know we still have the ALS lab fundraiser going, going on as well with some of your lab equipment. Uh, is that uh, still ongoing, Josh? And when, when is the uh, time frame on that? Still ongoing. Um, I'm going to give it a couple of more weeks. Unfortunately, I haven't had a lot of uptake on that yet. So hopefully people are just donating and, and not requiring lab gear. But at any rate, um, we can attach the URL to the, uh, to the fundraiser once we upload the podcast. But it's the cloud, A-E-H.com. That is Rick, who is on the show's uh, personal blog. And he was nice enough to let me set up uh, the fundraising page and, and help me build that out. I've still got the full gear list. So anyone that needs lab equipment, it doesn't have to be a massive uh, donation or anything like that. We're looking like 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever you can spare. And we've got some decently new generation servers. So these are fully capable. I was running uh, 6.7, uh, all the latest updates on it previously. I'm sure there's... Uh, hardware specific uh, ISOs you can get for seven that that would likely run. So uh, it's not like you're going to be generations behind in the VMware platform. You can definitely run Windows and Hyper-V on it as well. Uh, whatever you need for lab, they might be great uh, Kubernetes test beds. So uh, whatever you need, uh, please reach out. Let me know. If not, just make a donation in Michael's name to ALS Canada. So I'm talking about that, Josh. I got to set my priorities straight and uh, get that list of my stuff up there too. <laughs> that would be helpful. Well, with that, I think we can wrap up today. I really appreciate Rick for you uh, coming on and spending some time with us today. And Josh, as always, uh, thank you very much for your input. Uh, we look forward to uh, next week's episode. And uh, with that, we'll sign off for today. Thanks very much for listening. And uh, we'll look forward to episode seven next week. Thank you, Peter and Josh, for having me.